welcome to Soda City Speaks. We're your hosts, Ome Sama Rahemthula and Dylan Gunnels. And this is our second episode of Soda City Speaks. Please be sure to follow us on all the social medias and visit our website, which is anchor.fm slash Soda City Speaks. And uh, what do we have lined up today, Dylan? Um, we have another awesome episode this go around. Um, so as usual, we'll stick with the format and we'll start with headlines, everything that's been going on in the city um, throughout the past month. So then we'll jump into the FIS and we got an opportunity to speak with Jeff March, who's the president of South Carolina Pride. Um, so very excited about that. After that, we have a candidate interview with Aditi Bustles, who's running for city council at large. And then finally, of course, we'll talk about all that's happening in the city over the next month and where you can plug in. All right, let's get started with our headlines. The City of Columbia Council voted to name the park in the Bull Street District after Paige Ellington. Ellington was a notable builder, architect, and community leader. He helped design buildings on the state hospital property and had a relationship with James Babcock, the namesake of the Babcock Building. Chapin Town Council member Al Kuhn throws his hat into the ring to be Chapin's next mayor. Kuhn is currently a town council member and Chapin's mayor pro temp. He wants to focus on dealing with growth issues in the region. Richland County Sheriff's Department has begun negotiations with Live PD to reappear on the show. The department had been featured on the show since 2016 until it was canceled last year. The University of South Carolina has hired a Philadelphia consultant, Cozen O'Connor, to help the university institution improve its policies and procedures surrounding federal Title IX laws that prohibit discrimination based on sex and education. The firm, which has done work in more than 40 states, will conduct a review of USC's existing system and will provide training to those charged with investigating these cases when they arise. This is a result, of course, of the numerous claims made against male University of South Carolina professors in the past couple of months. The city of Columbia, in a rare move, is taking its own zoning board to court to appeal a March decision allowing American Scrap Iron and Metal, a scrapyard and recycling center, to open on Shop Road. Two local environmental watchdog groups, Congaree Riverkeeper and the Gills Creek Watershed Association, have also filed suit against the board in hopes of having the scrapyard decision reversed. You may have noticed a bit more color on Columbia building walls over the last couple of weeks. It's the result of a $50,000 effort by Columbia's nonprofit Parks Foundation that commissioned four new murals across the city. They are one on Main Street, a 300 by 600 foot mural at the corner of Washington Street that depicts the former downtown Black Business District, which honors the themes of entrepreneurship and business opportunity. At Hyatt Park in North Columbia, a mural depicting several prominent Black citizens, including educator Septima Clark, civil rights activist Benjamin Mack, and journalist and TV personality Listervelt Middleton. At Woodland Park off Gardner's Ferry Road, a mural depicting Sarah May Fleming, an African-American Eastover resident who, in June 1954, took a seat in a whites-only section of a segregated city bus. She was attacked by the bus driver and eventually filed a lawsuit against the owners of the bus company. The Fleming incident happened more than a year ahead of the much more popular Rosa Parks bus incident in Alabama. And finally, in Valencia Park in Rosewood, a mural depicting young African-American students integrating schools in Columbia in the 1960s. Prisma Health Baptist Park Ridge continues to be ranked as one of the safest hospitals in South Carolina, according to the LeapFrog Hospital Safety Grade. The Columbia Hospital received the highest grade from the LeapFrog Group, which issues biannual safety rankings. And those are your headlines credited to the state, Post and Courier, Free Times, WLTX, and COLA Today. And now, Dylan, there's a few more candidates that have thrown their hats in the ring for some of the seats that are opening up in this year's Columbia City elections. So let's chat about who they are. So District 1, we have Krista Williams and Tina Herbert. 
So Krista is a current employee in the Department of Corrections, and she's also the founder of a nonprofit organization aimed at reaching voters in underserved communities. During the past election, I remember actually working with Krista when I did uh, voter registration with the local masjid here in Colombia. So she was super active uh, from what I saw in uh, getting out the vote. And then we have Tina Herbert, who's an attorney and a former city official, and she announced her bid also this month for the District 1 seat, which, of course, was long held by Sam Davis. Yeah, so um, District 1 is actually my district, and so I'm excited to see um, these folks putting their hat in the ring, as we've now learned what that terminology (laughs) is. Um, If you haven't listened to the first episode, there's your ploy to go listen to the first episode. Um, But anyway, I'm I'm excited to see this. I am... uh, uh, have enjoyed working with Sam Davis and and his service in my district. Um, but of course, if he's going to choose, uh, the, as he keeps saying, now's the time. Uh, he doesn't like the word retire. So if now is the time, I'm excited to see some wonderful women of color who are stepping in. Um, I was actually walking my dogs in the neighborhood a couple weeks ago, and Krista was out canvassing, and she stopped me. And uh, we had a wonderful uh, interaction. And so I'm excited to see to see what else uh, is on her platform, because it was really great to get to, to meet her. And Tina is actually um, the precinct captain or, or precinct president uh, for my precinct. Um, So I've gotten to know her a little bit working. Uh, She's been working with the Richland County Democratic Party and doing things like that. So two great women uh, who are running. And I do think that we have to note um, that Tina has Tina Herbert's campaign uh, right after officially getting underway, immediately got a boost um, by receiving an endorsement from outgoing District 1 Councilman Sam Davis. And of course, he's held the seat for 23 years. And so for him to officially endorse uh, during a news conference in the Greenview community uh, is interesting. So we'll see how that race pans out. And for the at-large seat, we have one more candidate who we've already confirmed to come on this podcast. So do stay tuned. They're all coming on. Uh, Tyler Bailey announced um, at the beginning of April that he will run for the Columbia City Council at-large seat. Um, And of course, that's the seat that's being vacated by longtime member Tamika Isaac Devine. Um, and Bailey referenced his, when he announced, he referenced his home neighborhood of Elmwood Park. So he's from here and vowed to help businesses recover from the effects of COVID-19. Uh, Bailey is an attorney in his own law firm, practicing personal injury, workers' comp, family, and civil law. We're going to take a quick musical break with Diaspora and be right back with the rest of Soda City Speaks. And now, The Fizz. Who do we have on The Fizz today? Oh, man, I'm super excited. Like I referenced at the beginning, we had Jeff March join us um, to have this conversation. Jeff March is the president of South Carolina Pride. Um, He's been there for 10 years now, serving in that role. Um, So he's seen a lot of change, both good and bad. So I'm excited for listeners to hear from him today specifically to learn more uh, just about what is South Carolina Pride, what's that journey been like for the past 10 years. But most notably, as we know, um, everyone has been impacted in some way by the pandemic and certainly arts uh, culture and and events like this have been highly affected from a financial perspective. Um, if many remember, we didn't even get to have a pride parade last year because of the pandemic. Um, so Jeff talks about uh, re-upping and, and kind of reimagining what pride's going to look like this year, but also the help that they need moving forward. So um, 
Here's Jeff March. All right. Well, we're joined this afternoon with Jeff March, who is the president of South Carolina Pride. Jeff, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are? And for those that don't know, what is SC Pride? Okay. Thanks for having me, Dylan. Um, well, I am president of South Carolina Pride. This is my 10th year in that position. Uh, South Carolina Pride movement is uh, obviously a celebration of the LGBT community. We advocate, celebrate, support, and educate the lives of the LGBT community in, in South Carolina. We've been around since 1989, so this is our 32nd year. We've had a few years absence, I think about a handful. Uh, last year, of course, being COVID was one of our absences, so we are very glad to be looking forward to returning this year. And um, obviously, like you just mentioned, last year was a difficult year for a lot of organizations across the state around the world. And uh, Pride celebrations that usually happen here in October were canceled. So tell us a bit about that decision last year and, you know, what you're all up to this year and how that decision came around. Well, it was a long thought out decision and it was one that we kind of sat on quietly for a while because we did hold out hopes that we were something was going to change in the cycle of COVID and we were hoping for the best. But obviously when it became apparent that it wasn't going to be possible to do an event, uh, we just decided to kind of, we had our choices of either going uh, viral with our events or just kind of laying low and waiting it out because everything was on hold. Every possibility was in the back of my head. Like we could have this thing in November. We could have it in December. We could still have it anytime. We could change pride and have it as soon as they give us the red, the white flag to go. So um, it, it was difficult to, to say that we had to take a break, but I think in the end it was definitely the right decision to do. We certainly don't want to cause any illnesses in our community and to our allies. So, uh, we need to put on a safe event this year. So we're going to follow the protocols that the city gives us this year for all of our events. Uh, our big event, Pride, isn't until October 22nd, 23rd. So here's to wishful thinking again that we're going to be in a much, much better place. It looks like we will be. Um, but next up is Outfest, June 5th. And that is, if you want to think of it, that is like Columbia, South Carolina Pride. Um, I love it. It is a lot of fun, a lot more laid back. Uh, it's in the Vista, and we're looking forward to that being our return. I think jumping in, if we can, into a bit of city politics around this. This is, you know, uh, Soda City Speaks, and I mean, say as much as you want or not as much as you want, but funding this year is is difficult, right? Like a lot of Very. arts organizations are don't even know what H-Tax looks like this year. Um, you know, so how are you... Um, and SC Pride kind of navigating, like, the funding part of it? Because a big part of your funding, I'm assuming, is coming from H-Tax. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's a very good question because that is our biggest challenge this year. I have been in contact with our city council, every member of it, and I have kind of felt them out about where we stand. We did not deplete any H-Tax funds last year because we didn't have any events. That means basically we had zero income for 365 days. Uh, we are still begging and pleading for our sponsors to return. That is a business decision on their end, and we're waiting to hear. We've, we've got a lot of good news coming, I hope, but it's all tentative again on the COVID relief. The city council is saying that there is a federal program coming out to assist in programs like these, and I am definitely pointing out that uh, it's not just equality, it's equity, and LGBT community needs to get their share of that fund, especially since we didn't take any of that money last year as well. So uh, I'm counting on them, and I, I'm, I have some pretty strong advice that they, we are, we are going to get something from the city in this case for this year. So on that same note then, again, uh, none of these events just happen. Um, this always takes funding and volunteer efforts and paid staffers in some cases. So what does Pride look like for you this year as you are logistically planning? Um, and how can people get engaged and get involved to help make it happen? Let me explain a few things about what we're seeing this year that we haven't seen in the past um, or not for a long time. I took over as president in 2012, and it was Pride before that time was pretty much put on by the community itself. 
and a few of our allies, we certainly didn't have the strong support that we have now from corporate sponsors and things. Um, it was part of my vision to witness as I was on the board three years prior to becoming president, watching how we raised money. I kind of visioned something bigger. So I visioned that I could get corporate America to pay for the pride event and instead of it draining our community so much, especially 10 years ago with our commitment to AIDS relief and things like, and other projects of other organizations in town, we wanted to be somewhat self-conscious about how to put on a pride and how to fund it a little better and, and hopefully a little easier. And I have to say it was until this year. This Now we have to reflect back and go back to a donation fund. We're having a dollar fund campaign. It's running all through the rest of the year. All you got to do is go on social media, scpride.org slash dollar. Donate a dollar. You can donate a dollar every day. You can donate $100. If you are grand enough, you can donate $1,000. We've got something special for you. We're going to call you the grand. And um, it, it's gone well. It's kicked off. We're only a couple weeks long, and it, we certainly have had a great response from it. So there's a lot of hope that that's going to pick up the pieces where the sponsorships are not going to come back and fill the gaps that we need filled. And just kind of going off on that that sponsorship, like is that something that's happening across the board to arts and cultural organizations that corporate sponsorship is not coming back on board? And is that because they're being cautious about events in general or is there kind of a shift in 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 what corporate sponsorship looks like now for the arts and culture? It's hard to tell, but there's definitely a shift happening because I'm talking with other leaders of every kind of organization that I can talk to and feel them out too to see exactly where we stand as if we're feeling this from LGBT source or if we're feeling this from just in general. I know a lot of organizations that are looking at closing their doors because they just don't see funding coming back in time. And so unfortunately, I'm worried it could be a shift in donating from corporate America. I'm hoping it comes back. Um, so you talked a little bit in the beginning about what is pride. You know, we educate, we support, we advocate, those sorts of things. But um, digging a little bit deeper, for the person that says, you know, uh, I've never given to pride with my own financial dollars or I've ne I haven't necessarily gotten engaged at a deeper level other than just coming to a pride event. Um, what would you tell that person? What, what is the why? Why do we need to support Pride? It's interesting because I have a lot of stories come at me being president of this organization. Um, a lot of people that have disconnected from Pride because either they have gone to so many they don't feel it's their time anymore or I've got people that feel like it's not for them or people that ask me why. I recently got engaged and my fiancé, this is going to be his first Pride. And so we have a lot of healthy discussions as, why the hell haven't you been to Pride all this time? You know, <laughs> And he is a very good uh, person to explain to me why he felt like he just didn't need it or it, it wasn't necessary for him. Um, everybody has their story. Uh, I can't say that I, I've always needed it either, but I can say I witnessed it firsthand, the people that do. And I think everybody needs a portion. Something about pride affects your life somewhere if you're gay. Coming from an older circuit, I'm about to be 55. I have a partner that's a little younger than me, and I we have a very different perspective. He benefits from pride. Um, he's not afraid to walk down the vista and grab my hand. And I still have the hand that shakes a little bit, even though I am this... You know, as some people say, oh, you're the gayest person in South Carolina. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've heard that a lot. But um, he'll grab my hand and comfortably be that, a person that's never been to Pride. And I have the president of Pride. And because of the past from the 80s and what I've experienced before, I tend to shudder or I will still might look over my shoulder a little bit. But I, I there's with no reason. I haven't really had any experience to make me do that other than the stories that I carry from the past of everybody's experience. So I think it's good that we have this public statement and that's why Outfest came about to begin with. I never thought that pride was enough for South Carolina. One day, because in 2012 it was a one day gig and in 2015 I think we changed it to two days and now, and yet still three years ago I was like that's not enough. 
So let's have something in June. I'm excited to see that we've got Outfest coming back up. We've got that event. We've, we have the Pride in the Cities. Hopefully we're going to get comfortable bringing those back. Those are percentage nights. I like to think we have them once a month. If I could have them every day, we would. Um, that's the businesses participating and having people come into their business and giving back at least 10% and uh, welcoming the LGBT community for a night or, you know, whatever the event would be. So those are really big, and I'm hoping to start that up really, really soon, talking to people and getting a calendar together. So, Jeff, last year... Uh, or two years ago was Brave the Rainbow campaign, right? Mm -hmm. And so last year was going to be Be the Rainbow. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you're incorporating that theme this year? Brave the Rainbow started as a campaign to get businesses behind us and show their support publicly and by displaying the big window cling uh, in your business. And when LGBT people come into this town that are not familiar with the, with our city, uh, they could see it and they know where they are welcome at. Um, they might be welcome everywhere, but this is an extra show of support and a little lightning bolt saying, oh, I want to go there. So, um, And it does show your support, the business's support. Hopefully in all areas of the business, we do kind of try to keep an eye on them, but you know how it goes. But so far it's been great. It, it was a campaign that was supposed to be up a month, and those two years later those uh, stickers are still in everybody's windows. So that's really – and people are still asking for them, and I can't keep up. Um but then it transitioned into, and if you physically work on the word brave for me, if you're to knock out the R and the A and the V and the B comes, B and the E come together, it's Be the Rainbow is the following year was the plan to where the gay community is Be the Rainbow, show your rainbow, show your sport, you be out. And that was the whole transition. And then where that was going will be next year, scooted back, and I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Suspense! <laughs> We, I'm always thinking ahead in my little design ideas. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us this afternoon. Uh, most importantly now, how can we get engaged? Uh, what are your social medias? Where can people find information for the events and for uh, supporting financially? Uh, all of our information is at SouthCarolinaPride.org. Uh, that's our website. Of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter, every social media, I think, Uh Instagram, whatever. Yeah, here we, here's a generation thing happening. And we have a pride office right in the heart of the Vista, uh, 931D Senate Street. And it's open a lot throughout the week. So come by and see us sometime. We've got merchandise to sell. We've got pride passes to sell. Uh, a pride pass is the little B-pin this year that gets you in all access into all of our events uh, for $100. It's well worth it. You get a collector pin with it. We'll be everywhere. We'll be out and about now that events are coming back. All right, my schedule's looking full. I'm getting really excited about seeing everybody again. Yeah. We're going to take a quick musical break with Diaspora and be right back with the rest of Soda City Speaks. Here from candidate Aditi Bustles. So, as we mentioned, from here until the election, we'll be taking each episode to interview one of our candidates, and we're starting with the at-large seat. Um, and uh, we have already told, asked the three uh, candidates to come on the show, and uh, picking the order was something that was a bit, um, you know, we had to take a bit of time to discuss. So what we ended up doing was throwing everyone's name in a hat. <laughs> we seem to like the hat analogy metaphor. <laughs> but literally, um, we found a but hat. we literally got a hat and had a third-party individual. This was very um, uh, scientific, <laughs> scientific, well thought out. But in all seriousness, we just wanted to make sure that we were fair. 
uh, in, in how we interviewed. And so we just threw all the candidates' name in a hat, and we pulled them out randomly to decide the order. And that's the order all the way through each district till the end of the show. Soda City Speaks listeners, I'm really excited to introduce to you Dr. Aditi Bussels, who is running for the at-large seat in the Columbia City Council. Dr. Bussels, welcome to Soda City Speaks. Thank you so much for having me and really enjoyed the behind the scenes with y'all before starting this podcast. So uh, Aditi, um, really excited that you're running um, for city council. It's uh, We were talking about how exciting it is to see so many women running, so many women of color running. Um, and a, you know, to be to put your your hat in the ring, I think is the expression is is really nice to see. Um, so let's start off by letting our listeners know who you are. My story begins with my parents who immigrated here in the early '80s. They came to the American South, Richmond, Virginia, to finish up their schooling and fell in love with the opportunities that the city and this country provided. When I talk to my dad as I'm learning more, you know, so much of running for office is sharing your story. And it's been a really wonderful experience to learn from my parents uh, the parts of our story that we want to share. Because as also a public health researcher that is focused on early childhood, so much of what our childhood is shapes why we do what we do. And so when I when I hear from him that he used to study at the local courthouse because it was the only street light that was available 24 7 and he had this dream of getting to America and he made it I think that's really what's shaped to why I've gone into service because he has always taught me that you need to maximize the opportunities presented and most importantly you need to use those opportunities to make things easier for the people behind you and I think that's what he really did for my sister and I it's just the two of us He made sure that we had the best childhood he could provide and made a lot of sacrifices. My mom as well, especially now seeing seeing her kind of be able to slow down with the empty nest, right? She sacrificed a lot to make sure that she was a full-time working woman and a full-time mom to make sure we had everything that we needed. So I uh, moved to South Carolina to get my PhD in public health. If y'all had asked me seven years ago, um, are you going to be doing this? I would have looked at you like you were crazy. But what I didn't anticipate along the way was the relationships and the meaningful work that I was going to be able to engage in, starting as early as being a graduate assistant at the agency I now direct a department in, right? And, And that's because that's what makes Columbia special. We are very welcoming of people that want to do good and want to make things better, and that is something you won't find somewhere else. And so when I think about even, you know, like I mentioned, going from being a graduate assistant part-time at my agency to them helping me find the money and create a position for me after I graduated with my PhD, those things just don't happen. And being in public health, which super excited to share that people actually kind of know what it means now, uh, you know, with the pandemic going on. I found that there's just so many opportunities to make those small but significant changes for the people that I care about in the city that I care about, and that's what made me stay. And so here I am now running for city council because I believe politics are local, and I am somebody that has devoted my life to solving problems. That's what public health is. We get all these complex problems like poverty and lack of access to health care and education, and we are told, figure out a way to systemically solve it. And that, to me, is what policymaking is as well. And so I'm super excited to bring that really important and, frankly, relevant perspective to city council if elected. And this, I don't know, might be a bit off-tangent, but I'm really interested in um, what your research was for your PhD, like your elevator pitch, and also what kinds of public health research are you doing right now at your job? When you typically talk to public health researchers, they'll say, I'm passionate about cancer prevention or obesity or uh, preventing diabetes. I'll tell you, I care about all of those things. I want to focus on how we got there. So my area of expertise is this concept called adverse childhood experiences or commonly known as ACEs. ACEs are really a framework that help us understand that what happens to us in childhood affects our adulthood. So the traumatic experiences that we may experience early in life can actually change our brain's chemistry and lead us to engage in unhealthy behaviors, which ultimately lead to those chronic conditions we're trying to prevent. My research has been all around how we can use programs, 
and policies to prevent ACEs from occurring altogether. My dissertation was what we call mixed methods, which is doing both interviews like we're having today, as well as some of the more traditional analytic methods to capture both the stories and the quantitative data to get a full picture of what ACEs look like in South Carolina. And a really cool component of my dissertation was that I actually interviewed current state legislators on their knowledge of ACEs and early childhood-related issues. And not only did that help me understand the best ways that we need to communicate science, but it also gave me a really, really in-depth understanding of the different challenges and opportunities in policymaking in South Carolina. Well, Aditi, it's a pleasure to meet you in person, finally, and um, uh, we're just really happy to have you here. You know, we're talking about your background. You're talking about, you know, kind of the decision to to run specifically for city council and and to run now. But I want to expound on that a little bit. Um, So why now? You know, it is a life decision um, to decide that that you're going to do something that big. Um, And then also you're running for the at-large seat. So why now and why that seat? I would come back to you and say, why not now? I think now more than ever, having young people step up, specifically young people with diverse experiences, and I'll take that even further, young people that also identify as women of color step up. We have been a missed perspective over and over again in local, state, national politics, and we're starting to see that change. And while that's exciting, I always say, But it's 2020, and we're just seeing firsts happen. We should be represented the same way that we are a large percentage of the voting population. And, you know, going back to what I said earlier, I think it's really important to have someone that understands the data, the science, and is able to make informed decisions, not on politics, but on what's best for the city. And I... I pride myself in being somebody who is a coalition builder, someone that wants to listen to all different, you know, sides and perspectives of a particular issue or argument. And I'm somebody that takes the time to make thoughtful decisions around what would be best for the long term goal, whether it's a public health problem or if it's a city issue. And so I think that coupled with the real, I think, exciting opportunity we have for city council to potentially have three or four new members on it. I think this is the time that we need to harness. We're at a turning point and it's time to make some really, really critical decisions to ensure that that Columbia is the most equitable place for people to live, work, and play. But most importantly, it's a competitive city so that we are seen as a city that stands on its own, not in the shadows of Greenville or Charleston. Awesome. So let's talk policy then. Let's dig into that. I mean, we talk about wanting to be competitive, being equitable. You've already talked about education, housing, health care. Um, just take an opportunity. Let's, let's talk a little bit about your platform. Why don't, why don't you just kind of tell us some of those key points of your platform and what you're looking to accomplish? Absolutely. So as a researcher, I am spending the next couple of months, uh, because as you all that are listening, keep in mind the election is November 2nd, so we have some time. Um, and that's a really important day, so I hope you put it in your iPhone calendar or whatever calendar you use. Uh, but I am spending the next several weeks listening to my future constituents about the different issues that they are facing to help build my policy platform. That being said, there's three, I would say, major buckets of things that I'd like to focus on. The first is very much opportunity. And with opportunity, we need to think about both opportunities for people and opportunities for business. Y'all may be familiar with the recent tax study that came out that a lot of candidates, uh, you know, for the mayor's race have been talking about. And when you look at that data, there's a couple of things we need to keep in mind. Columbia can be better in terms of being a friendly place to start a business. And when I say start a business, I mean anywhere from a student graduating from the University of South Carolina to someone who's completely switching careers and has decided, I want to open a business. And I think that in terms of opportunity, we can do better in terms of our infrastructure, in terms of making sure that we are negotiating smart deals that lead to the health of our economy here in South Carolina, and most importantly, lead to more jobs. One of the things I even talk about in my personal experience is that there's not a lot of options for someone like me in public health should I decide to move on from my current job, right? And that's pretty crazy when we think about that we're the state capital, 
we're in the middle of a pandemic and jobs are limited. And so one way I like to think about that is that we don't have a talent problem. We have a lot of bright people that want to stay here. We have challenges with bringing in jobs that lead to careers. And so I think we need to focus on creating those opportunities so that we not only have a healthy economy, but we have healthy, thriving communities that have access to jobs. And when you have access to jobs, that brings in wealth and income for your families. And Dylan, you and I both know that that can be really the root cause of so many of the issues that we see in our careers. The next area that I'm really interested in is collaboration. So going back to that state, that tax study that occurred, one of the things that we saw over and over again in that tax study is that Richland County, the school board, and City of Columbia are not working as collaboratively as they can, specifically around some of the decisions being made around economic development and taxes. I think that it's time that we have some real hard conversations about how we can streamline and be more efficient uh, across all of these different entities that are governing different parts of the Columbia area. And most importantly, I'd like to change the norm that Columbia is just Columbia. The success of Columbia is the success of all of Richland County. And there's no reason why in a, in a state with, what, 4.5, 5 million people, census numbers should be coming out soon. Population census came out and it's 5 million. Okay, 5 million people. There's no reason why we shouldn't be talking. One of the examples I like to give is when you look at cities like Asheville, the city of Asheville and the county around it are super close. They make decisions together, their offices talk to each other, and they bring in awesome things. We could be doing the same. And when that happens, I also believe some of the inequities we see in education would be lessened as well. So I think collaboration is important. I think not focusing so much on credit taking and fo focusing more on coalition building is the way to do that. And then I would say fi finally, I, th I think the last area is what I like to call healthy people, healthy communities. Your communities can only be as healthy as the people that live in them, right? And in order for us to have the dollars to support the important local services we need to provide, we need to have some critical conversations about those community local partnerships. But we also need to think about how we can lessen the burden on families that are trying to just put food on the table, are trying to keep a roof over their heads. There's no reason why, you know, South Carolina should be the highest in evictions, right? And one of the things I've been hearing over and over again is that affordable housing continues to be a concern, again, because of a lot of policies that maybe city council can't directly address, but can certainly lessen the load on. And, and alongside that, I think healthy families and healthy communities also has to do with the number one issue I've been hearing in my conversations with people, and that is public safety. I'd like to see us really have some important conversations around how we make our city more safe, while still acknowledging and understanding that we have a lot of work to do to build partnerships and trust between our law enforcement and the people that live in the city. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that answer. And I want to dig a little bit into this conversation surrounding equity. And so we have certainly seen a lot of political and social unrest over the past couple of years. Uh, I think we're having deeper, more vulnerable conversations around equity. How does that become tangible? Um, for you? How, how do you effectively legislate but also pull communities together to want to be equitable, not just because the legislation says so? That's a great question. I think first and foremost, it's important for people to understand the difference between equity and equality. And for many people, that's where they're beginning. And I always like to talk about equity in terms of getting a pair of shoes. If we all gave everyone the same pair of shoes, and we don't realize that everyone has different sizes and different needs in terms of comfort, that shoe is essentially ineffective and a waste of time. But if we take the time to understand where people are coming from and what they need, what size their shoes are, are they runners, are they walkers, are they someone that are facing an injury, and we give them what they need, uh, need as opposed to the exact same thing, that's where we start to see equity. And so for those of you all that are listening, I want you to think about equity in your life in that same way. It's a really easy metaphor. Feel free to steal it when you're talking to your friends. Uh, but that's what I go back to when I think about solutions for what equity would look like in this city. I think the simplest way to say it, as someone who's a child health researcher, is that I want our kids in 29201, 29202, 29203 to have the same life opportunities and have some of the same outcomes that maybe some of our more flourishing districts like 29205 have. And that means recognizing that they're not starting at the same place. And when we think about all of the things that influence a child's life, 
it's all of those what we call in public health social determinants of health that the city can contribute to. And it goes back to some of the things that we were already talking about, Dylan. It means making sure that there is intentional investment to provide more jobs, to provide more opportunities to have a meaningful income that is enough to ensure that families' basic needs are being met. It's enough to ensure that we're not resorting to what I call acts of desperation, which lead to a lot of the crime that we see. I like to believe that crime comes from a lack of, a lack of opportunity, a poverty. No one intentionally wants to engage in acts like that, right? I think it also goes back to looking at ways in which we are working with developers to bring housing into our, our community. I think access to housing is a basic need, and once you have access to housing, so many other things kind of fall into place. And I think also, most importantly, the city could be doing things a little bit differently in terms of how we fund different social programs. It's not as meaningful for us to throw, and I'm making these numbers up, $100,000 to fix homelessness here, $100,000 to fix food insecurity here, because the problem is you're you're not actually fixing the root cause. You're just putting a Band-Aid on it. And so when we start to legislate it in a way that we're looking at all of these things as being connected instead of all of us coming in with special issues that we're passionate about and recognize that the success and the well-being of the city will lead to alleviating all of these problems, I think we'll start to see equity intentionally and unintentionally be addressed with the ways in which we're making decisions. And so I would challenge my future colleagues on council to stop thinking in terms of I just want to solve one specific issue and start thinking in terms of how do we build a more inclusive Columbia that then by its very nature then allows regardless of where you live to have the same opportunities to succeed, to live an optimal healthy life then and 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 move away from the haves and the have-nots. Aditi, that that answer is is really encompassing, and and we, I think we appreciate that. That it's not looking at like single issues, but it's really looking at the way that they connect to each other. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's a very intersectional approach. Absolutely. I mean, we think of identity intersectionally, but we also need to think of these you know social issues also as interconnected, um, and. However, I guess, or on the flip side, or the way that that change happens is through policy. So we're asking every candidate, right, I know you haven't done your, your, your policy platform yet, but what is your kind of one dream policy? If right now Oof. you get a, yeah, you get a magic wand and, you know, the council's like, what's your dream policy? We'll implement it right now. What's the one thing? And not, and it doesn't have to be like the one policy that you think will make the biggest impact. But what is something? It could be your passion project. It could be something that you think has a big impact, or um, you know, it could be something that you really think the city could benefit from in the context of COVID. Like, what's one kind of solid policy recommendation that you would make? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and this is by no way judging what your platform is. It's just like you know, what's your dream vacation? <laughs> but for a politician. <laughs> That's so, I have so many dreams Mm -hmm. and ideas, but I think my dream policy would probably be around public safety because I continue to hear that's a huge concern. And I would institute a policy that basically allows for us to be able to walk around this city and not have any, any problems and feel uncomfortable. And that could go a lot of different ways uh, in terms of how that happens because As you all know, walkability, safety, community investment all kind of go hand in hand. But I think I would say that I would just take my magic wand and the next day I can walk from Earlwood all the way to campus and that becomes the norm. That would be that would be what I and there's a lot. And I know we only have 20 minutes on this podcast and there's a (laughs) lot we could dig in there. But I think when you make a place someplace that people are excited to live and engage with, you just see more investment and and prosperity come to the city. And this is that whole idea of placemaking. When you make somewhere walkable and safe and uh, have a vibrant art scene and a vibrant culture, I think that's when you start to see a lot of those bigger systemic changes happen. So 
other thing for me, what's really exciting about your candidacy and, and not and not in a superficial way or in an identity politics way is that I'm of South Asian descent. I'm from East Africa, but I'm very visibly uh, South Asian and I have um, South Asian ancestry from India, from Gujarat specifically. So it was really exciting for me to see. I didn't, and I don't know how you identify South Asian American or Indian American uh, running in this city in Colombia. Um, and it's not, I mean, you know, there was a, a South Asian woman who ran for um, school council. Uh, but to, to see that kind of visibility of, of a South Asian woman, an Asian woman, an AAPI woman running for an important position, it, it was really heartening to, to see that. And um, if you do win, you would be the first South Asian woman in Colombia to hold an office in all of the state, which is just mind boggling. Um, so can you tell can you tell us what that what that means for you in a, in, a, in a state that I think has the larger South Asian population than we recognize? Um, so, I mean, for me, I'm so excited to to see the census come out like I just cannot wait you know for the census like the aggregated data to come out we we've had like the first drop which was not much of information but I'm really you know in the last 10 years the demographic composition of the state has really changed absolutely and uh you know fun fact I was on the complete count committee and I'm a census nerd like you and Mm. super super excited to to see how our data plays out I don't take that first lightly. I think it speaks to a couple of things. I think the South is changing. We often talk about the landscape in terms of white and black only, but there is a lot of other racial groups now represented. And again, going back to what I said earlier in the podcast, it is now 2021 and our policymakers should reflect the people that live in this country. And I'm really excited to... uh, be that person and hopefully inspire others to step up and take the plunge and do something like this as well. Uh, you know, I don't come from a political background. I'm just an immigrant's kid that said, this is a community that I want to live in and raise my family in, and I want to make it the best possible place to live. Thank you for that question. Aditi, we really appreciate you being with us today. Um, I think this conversation has been fruitful and enlightening, um, and I hope it's been that way for folks listening as they're making decisions about who their potential future leaders are in the city. Um, So just to wrap things up, uh, there are, uh, like you said, other viable candidates who are running. Um, There are folks that have um, good resumes and track records. And so uh, just in 30 seconds to a minute, uh, why you? Why should I elect you over the other candidates? Um, And then if you could just round out the conversation and let us know where we can find more information about you. I believe that I'm the best for the at-large position because I'm going to be the councilwoman for everyone. I am somebody who cares deeply about the diversity of this city, and I think that it's important now more than ever to bring people together to make some really critical systemic-level decisions that ensure the longevity of Columbia. I think I bring a very unique experience to the table with my public health background, but also as my my identity, uh, as we recently talked about, uh, you know, I, I bring a, a new perspective and I'm excited to make Columbia really be the standard for the new South. If you wanted to learn more about me, my platform, my story, I, I ask that you all visit my website. It's oddity, A-D-I-T-I, for the city.com. And full disclosure, campaigning during COVID sucks. So if you are willing to engage with our social media, a like, a comment, a share can do a lot to get the word out about the campaign. And you can find me on Facebook at oddityforthecity.com or Instagram at oddityforthecity.com. And then of course, as always, we welcome donations and contributions, whether it's $5 or $500. As a first-time candidate, I will be it internally grateful for the support that you're providing us thank you all so much for having me on this podcast and now your community listings what's going on in Columbia in May well we'll tell you Richland libraries beginning to bring back their outdoor programs throughout the community Um, so the first one that people really like is the farmers market and it's back with fresh produce baked goods and other local items um, you can visit the farmer's market while accessing library resources 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Wednesdays in the main library. 
And there's going to be lots of vendors, and they accept various forms of payment, including cash, debit, credit, and SNAP. The library is also partnering with Historic Columbia for story time in the garden. On Thursday, May 13th at 2 p.m. and at 3.15 p.m. at the Hampton Preston Mansion and Gardens on Blanding Street, you can enjoy stories, songs, and activities outdoors. You have to register online to attend, and it is up for a family square which accommodates up to five people. The library, doing it safe, social distancing. <laughs> doing it right. The Richland Library, honestly, is one of the most amazing library systems I've ever seen. Um, so we're really excited to tell you about their events. So finally, they're partnering with the Frame by Frame Film Club to bring an outdoor free screening of Oscar-winning film Minari, which will take place at the Northeast Library on May 25th. Um, and we'll start off with a conversation about the film with local academics and artists. Follow Frame by Frame Film Club on Instagram and Facebook to get more details. The City of Columbia Municipal Court will be implementing a Spring Forward Amnesty program every Friday in May. The program will allow citizens with outstanding bench warrants and other penalties to resolve their cases without being arrested or going to jail. It gives citizens an opportunity to voluntarily resolve outstanding cases in a fair and efficient manner. The Amnesty Days will be held from 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. on every Friday in May. The locations do differ. Um, so on May 7th, it will be actually at the City of Columbia Municipal Court. On May 14th, it will be at Busby Street Community Center. May 21st is at Earlwood Park. And May 28th is at Transitions Homeless Center. Uh, you can learn more about this at the City of Columbia's website right on the homepage. And on May 4th is the annual Midlands Gives. So get out some of that money and support your favorite nonprofit here in Columbia, South Carolina. The City of Columbia is also continuing its free community vaccination clinic, and they are able to give up to 1,000 Pfizer shots every single day. Hundreds of people have already received their vaccinations at the clinic, which is located at 7201 Two Notch Road. The clinic will be open seven days a week for eight weeks from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And ages 16 and up will receive free shots of the Pfizer vaccine via drive through or walk-in stations. No appointment is necessary and no photo ID is required. They also have sign language and Spanish interpreters assisting on site. And that is the Columbia Place Mall. And that also, if you need more information, it can be found on the City of Columbia's website. And we encourage you, of course, to get the vaccine, wear your mask, wash your hands, and socially distance. Get the jibby jab! <laughs> All right. Those are your community listings for the month of May in our fine city of Columbia. Thanks for tuning in to Soda City Speaks. On our next episode, I'm really excited that we're going to take a bit of a deep dive yes. into the census results and what they mean for the city of Columbia, which will be released in May. So we'll be able to bring you some sort of analysis um, about what that looks like for Columbia and how our demographics have changed in the last 10 years. And, and we will also, of course be hosting another candidate and so heather bauer will be here who is running for city council at large so we will have a conversation with her as always please don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast find out what's coming up on social media follow us at soda city speaks on twitter and facebook and or drop us a line at soda city speaks at gmail.com Soda City Speaks is produced and hosted by Dylan Gunnels and Ome Salma Rahantula. Our theme music for the podcast is by DJ Preach Jacobs. Check him out on Instagram and Twitter at Preach Jacobs. The Columbia-based musical artist featured this month was Diaspora. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Diaspora. That's D-I-A-S-P-O-U-R-A or at Diaspora.com. Thanks again for joining. Join us again and let Soda City speak to you.